your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tense world. Today is Thursday, February 1st. A quick update to start the show. I am recording tonight from my hotel room in Cleveland, a city where I will be staying for the remainder of this week, as I am so blessed to once again be serving as MC of this week's ATP Challenger event here in Cleveland. It is a role I enjoy performing as much as any. I have the opportunity to fulfill in the tennis world, not only the chance to help serve as part of the in-match, in-tournament entertainment for fans who are on site, but to have the opportunity to be on the grounds, to have the opportunities to speak with players, coaches I have built relationships with over the years. I can tell all of you listeners, I have gathered more informal information over the last 24 hours than I had through the entirety of this 2024 season. So I do apologize for the sporadic release times of these episodes here this week. Again, I may be distracted in my role as MC here in Cleveland. Nevertheless, given we had no episode for all of you listeners yesterday, I promise today, obviously, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, that is not a promise, actually. It is a guarantee that we will have episodes for all of you listeners here on this feed. And I do want to thank the top-notch management team, Sam Duvall, Alex Guthrie. They are the best in the business in putting together and operating an event like this. Whether you are a fan, a player, a volunteer, a staff member, you're treated first class from start to finish when you walk in the door and no detail gets overlooked. It's why they have not only been able to run this event successfully now for a sixth season, it's why they were able to bring a WTA event to this city as well. And obviously, I'm very much looking forward to getting to serve as MC there for the third time uh, coming up this August. But again, I'm on the grounds here in Cleveland. Thus, I want to talk Cleveland as well as everything else happening in the tennis world here on today's show. I got to watch 22-year-old Emilio Nava in person today. It had been a while since I saw the former two-time Junior Slam champion play in person, about nine months actually since I last saw him, or 11 months I suppose, last March in Phoenix. Something's different about the 22-year-old. It was an ear test thing. It was an eye test thing. And now that I've had some time to look over his recent statistics as well, I am sincerely wondering, maybe this is the year Emilio Nava cracks the top 100, a young American who needs to be on your radar. I want to talk about what I saw from him and what I saw from everyone else here in Cleveland today. How about last year's NCAA singles champion, Ethan Quinn? He was Mature is the word that comes to mind in a three-set victory over Stefan Kozlov, senior Quinn Van de Castile of Oregon. He's into his first challenger quarterfinal three-set win over Mitchell Kruger. You had service bombs between Kwiatkowski and Trotter. A lot of fun doubles throughout the course of the day as well. I want to talk about everything I saw here in Cleveland. I also want to set the scene for what is a really fun quarterfinal Friday slate of matches at this Challenger event. But then, of course, again, we'll talk more broadly about everything else happening in the tennis world as well. I have had some time here tonight now to go back to watch all the film. Man, am I impressed by everything we've seen in Linz thus far. And look, all of our top five seeds are still alive. Obviously, the headliner. Top seed Yelena Ostapenko pushed to the very brink by Clara Tawson, but that Ostapenko got through that match. Further proof that I think she is in the absolute peak of her prime of her career, and 
I think she's a top 10 player in the world right now. I think she's a top eight player in the world right now. I think we're going to get to see that fact prove itself out again this week in Linz. As again, it is a loaded field. So we'll set the scene of everything there. Set the scene in Hua Hin as well. Shout out to our girl, former NC State All-American Lady Di. Diana Schneider gets a win all over Bedosa to get herself to the quarterfinals, get herself back inside the top 100. But it's not just her. Wang Shenyu, Katie Volinets, and others, they're all playing well in Hua Hin. So want to set the scene there. Then, of course, talk about our ATP 250, right? Runa, Bublik, FAA, Chorch, our top four seeds still alive. We had a thriller as well between Bublik, Shapovalov, thriller between FAA, Arthur Cazzo, you know, FAA gets sick on court, vomiting into a trash can. That's what it takes, honest to God, right now to beat the 21-year-old Frenchman, Arthur Cazzo, who has just been electric to start this 2024 season. But again, it's our first week of post-major tennis here in February, and it's delivered the goods thus far. So I want to set the scene as we head into an exciting quarterfinal Friday. What do all of our events look like at the tour level? What do all our events look like at the challenger level, by the way, as well? And I would love to talk about what our events look like at the collegiate level here on this show. The problem is if I did that, all these episodes would turn into four-hour podcasts. So We've decided to house all of our college content over on our Great Shot podcast feed. If you are curious about the Division I college tennis world, why I find it so entertaining, why I talk about it so frequently here on this podcast, you can go learn all about that entertainment. You can learn all about that level of play as we broke down a fascinating ITA kickoff weekend in the college tennis world over on the Great Shot podcast feed. So again, if this is the year you're going to dip your toes into college tennis, the best way to get prepared to do so, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed. Make sure you're subscribed to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. The reason for that, I already have lined up interviews for tomorrow in Cleveland. So make sure you don't miss those interviews when they drop. Be ready for those podcasts to be released. You can catch up on some of the other conversations we've had as well. Again, this podcast, Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and of course our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed to them all. If you could leave a five-star rating, if you could leave a little review for us as well, that is always greatly appreciated. A shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who makes all of that content possible. And by the way, while I'm here in Cleveland, he's going to have a broadcast for all of you tennis fans to enjoy this weekend on Saturday as Florida plays Florida State. It's the USTA College Match Day. It's available on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. So, you know, again, what else are you doing on a Saturday during the day? You got to get your tennis fix before you go out on the town, before you enjoy a night with your family, whatever it may be. I believe those matches start around 2, 3 p.m. Eastern time. So College Match Day, Saturday, Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Make sure you check it out. That said, thank you to our friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. But without further ado, let's break down a fun quarterfinal Friday in the pro tennis world. I want to start again here in Cleveland where I got a courtside seat for the following results. Van de Castile over Kruger, 7-5 in the third. Nava over Brady, 6-3-6-2. I had Ethan Quinn over Stefan Kozlov, 6-2-4-6-6-3. And then Ty Kwiatkowski over James Trotter, 6-4-7-6. Now again, If you are a fan of the majors, of the mainstream pro event, whether it be Indian Wells, Miami, the Monte Carlos, or Rome's of the world, you know, those are the things you pay attention to. Then these names here in Cleveland, you may not be 
as familiar with them. But if you are a longtime Crack Rackets listener, if you do dive into the college tennis world with us, if you do read Colette Lewis or like to take a dip into the challenger level from time to time, as I certainly like to do, then you will be more familiar with those names. That said, I'm going to approach as if you're go- if as if all of you listeners are in category A. So let's look more broadly at our group of quarterfinalists. And the number one standout to me is 22-year-old Emilio Nava. For those of you less familiar with Nava, the 22-year-old currently 150 in the world, reached his career high of number 145 last October. He made his 14th challenger quarterfinal of his career with a convincing straight set victory over 19 year old Patrick Brady, three and two win for the 22 year old. He also got a six and one win over former Baylor All-American Adrian Boyton. Boyton, if you haven't seen him play, can hit the snot out of the ball. But Nava was more dynamic, more fluid in the corners, and could certainly match Boyton's power today. His power just overwhelmed the 19 year old Brady. And look, this is a guy, Emilio Nava, three challenger titles to his name. This is a guy in Emilio Nava who, of course, we saw I'm going to say push Casper Ruud at the U.S. Open last year. Now, obviously, Ruud was able to advance, but Nava, after getting through qualifying, 7-6-3-6-6-4-7-6 loss to Casper Ruud. He flips one of those breakers. He's in a fifth set, and honest to God, remembering that match as I do, he was the better player in set number one and kind of let some inexperience in the big moments, some nerves perhaps, lead to him rushing, producing errors that he might not would, uh, might have not otherwise made. And again, you look for Nava in his career, two and four against the top 100 over his last 52 weeks, three and 14 overall in his career against top 100 opponents. That certainly would be indicative of someone who needs more time for his game to mature at the challenger level, needs a little bit more time to find a perhaps degree of consistency or find a degree of physicality that will allow him to impose his weapons with the sort of frequency needed to be a successful top 100 player. And while, again, I mentioned 3-14 and 14 overall, 2-4 and four in his last 52 weeks, you want to look for him at the challenger level specifically. I think that's where we've seen the serious growth. You look for Nava uh, last year at the challenger level. He goes 22-21 and 21 overall. But keep in mind, he won, uh, he won a title in June. He reached another final in August, did those on hard courts and clay courts respectively. To end his season, he goes semifinal in Malaga, semifinals in Knoxville as well. Now, you look for him to start this year. Obviously, he goes to the Australian Open where he loses final round of qualifying, but gets a couple of good wins in his first two rounds of qualifying. Uh, Now he's here in Cleveland to play just his third event of the year. It's his first quarterfinal of the year, advancing with the victory for what it's worth. Nava thus far through two matches has faced a total of one. One break point. It's a guy who reached two junior slam finals in singles. A guy who reached two junior slam finals in doubles as well. A top five junior in the world. The pedigree is there for Emilio Nava. We just haven't seen him break through, perhaps. Uh, you know, have that signature breakthrough run quite yet. That signature run of six weeks of consistency that could propel someone who's hovering in that 100 to 200 range into that top 100 conversation. I will say very much eye test wise, Nava's got the game. You listen to the ball come off of his racket. It is startling. It is stunning. It is striking. It is exceptional. And it's just this pop that 
is so significant. It's just so indicative of the, and again, it matches what you're seeing with your eye. The ball just comes flying at you and he can hit all the spots on the serve. The technique is pure. I do think he can get rushed on his forehand wing by a, by a certainly top 100 pace, but man, if you can't rush his forehand wing, it's a little bit more of an Eastern flatter grip, but man, can he missile that ball and drive it through the court so well. I think he's very fluid on the backhand wing. We saw him, for God's sake, hit a tweener and then follow it up with a, a sprint forward on a drop volley, make the backhand pass down the line and win a point with a tweener tonight against Patrick Brady. And I understand Brady's outside the top 800. Brady's still a teenager. Certainly at this point of his career, Emilio Navadera, I say, has to win that match. He did. And he did so very convincingly. Again, 3-2, and two, he was off court in an hour, 13 minutes. Now he's going to face a former All-American at the collegiate level, a guy who has won the the USTA main draw wild card into both the French Open last year as well as this year's Australian Open to start, a guy in Patrick Kipson who reached his career high of 183 in January of this year, a guy in Kipson who, by the way, now 24 years old, he should also be ascending towards the peaks of his powers. If the top 100 push is going to come, it feels like now's the window that he's had a little bit of challenger success spread out across the calendar uh, to build around. Obviously, you look for Kipson last year, wins his first two challenger titles of his career, including to end the season in Champagne, where, by the way, he beat two top 100 players in Alex Kovacevic, Alex Mickelson, as well as a win over last year's NCAA singles champion, Ethan Quinn. It's two guys whose stock are thoroughly on the rise. And I think Nava's a little bit more explosive than Kipson as an athlete. Certainly, again, from a ball test, that sound test, Nava, oh, is it striking? Kipson's gritty, man. I mean, Kipson's got plenty of weapons on his own. This is a guy who is also a former Kalamazoo champion, also a former top junior conversation in the world. It's been a little bit of a slower burn for Kipson, but he certainly was playing his best tennis of his career last year, hoping to carry it into this season. Straight set wins for him over Cassone Ponwith thus far. That's an exceptional match for two Americans who the trend lines are pointing up. Kipson, a 50 2% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. It's their first career head-to-head pro matchup. Nava said they played like four years ago, but that it's been a while when I spoke with him after his win tonight. Anyways, I'm just telling you, it's an eye test thing. It's an ear test thing. And you just look at the stats. Like You can look at that Kasparud match. I know you can look at the 3-14 and record against the top 100 and be dissuaded, but Nava is still just 22 years old, and there was just a degree of consistency he has played with in overwhelming his first two opponents here in Cleveland. I hadn't seen that consistency from him maybe in any stretch throughout the course of—I mean, again, I guess we did see that consistency in the fact he won a challenger last year, but it's just been so smooth for Nava thus far. It just feels like he's— he, he's playing within himself that he hasn't even played his best tennis yet of this event, and certainly he'll need to step up his level against Kipson. But, I mean, across the board, I'm really fascinated by the James Duckworth-Quinn Vandecastiel quarterfinal. Look, Duckworth's the only top 100 player in the draw. Duckworth, a significant favorite, 84.5%, according to Tennis Abstract. Look, if you don't know about the 21-year-old Vandecastiel, currently 636 in the world, he's finishing his senior year at Oregon. He took two losses last weekend uh, for the Oregon Ducks when he played here in Columbus. Now he's into his first quarterfinal at the challenger level here in Cleveland. And this is a guy who had so much pro success over the summer, made three finals, won his first title at the 25K level in Edwardsville. 
the highs are really high for Quinn Van de Castile. His serve, his forehand, the weight of his shot, the speed he possesses, the upside is evident. There's a top 100 player in Quinn Van de Castile. The problem is the delta between ceiling and floor. Like He'll make five errors in seven points and just go away for these five to seven minute stretches that you just cannot afford to uh, at this level of the game. That said, you look for Van de Castile, a wild card into this event. Seven, six in the third, he knocks out one of the top rising young Americans in Bruno Kuzahara. And then seven, five in the third, he knocks out Mitchell Kruger in the round of 16. Now Kruger clearly an ab strain uh, as that match progressed in the third. And that's how Van de Castile was able to overcome the deficit. But Van de Castile is fascinating. It's just a fascinating piece of guy. Again, you won't be too familiar with, but watch the highs. Watch the weapons he possesses. That's what I've learned the more I watch this game is you can't fake the weapons and you have to have them to make life easy for yourself, particular uh, at the highest levels of the pro game, men's and women's. Like, look at what I was just saying, look at what Sapolanka's doing, but Chin Wen, Yastremska, Naskova, like all these players who have gone on these young runs early in their careers because they have weapons they can turn to right away. Now, of course, there's the Andreeva side of things with the speed and the athleticism. And look, it can work on both sides of the cloth, obviously, if you are talented enough. But I, I just, the more I watch, the more I, you, you got to have weapons to prove to me that there is upside moving forward. And again, it's going to be a weapons fest. Duckworth has been pretty much untouched on serve thus far in matches against Toby Kodot, Patrick Maloney. And by the way, Maloney played great in that round of 16 match. Maloney's a dear friend, not like one of those people who I talk to podcast-wise. Now, if I see Pat Maloney, it's how's your mom? How's your dad? How are your brothers? You know, again, by the way, he says the same thing to me as well. Like that That's real family. Um, his first serve percentage used to be in the 40s. It was in the 60s against Duckworth. And as such, he was broken once per set. Like that was... He played one bad service game, 4-5 in the second set. That was really it. Like, couldn't get a good look on the Duckworth serve forehand. He's hitting bombs here indoors. I was really impressed by what I saw from Pat, who qualifies, wins a round again at this event. Shout out to my guy. But And now that he's not in college, and I don't have to worry about being accused of being biased because we went to the same school, I can just call him my guy. Um, and until he's a top 100 player, maybe. I mean, look. He's a friend. He, we, I've known Pat for more than half a decade now. Anyways, I'm not going to justify this to you all. This just proves my brain is rotting due to a long day of sitting courtside. The Duck versus Van de Castile, that's weapon-centric. The two names you listeners will know best also happen to go head-to-head in these quarterfinal rounds. It's Dennis Kudla versus Tennis Sandgren. Again, if this match was happening a decade and a half ago, I'd clear my schedule for it. Kudla 3-1 and one in the career head-to-head. Look at the rankings right now. Dennis Kudla currently sitting at 178. Tennis Sandgren currently sitting at 281. Both in slam qualies range. Is there another top 100 push in either guys? Again, in that 2010s era, those were the guys. Sandgren a couple of quarterfinals at the majors. Kudla obviously always at Wimbledon was must-watch TV, second week run for him there. They go head-to-head at this Cleveland event. I think that's something certainly we can get excited about. It's just if you are a fan of American tennis in this Cleveland area, it's why it's worth showing up to that match, even though it's the 11 a.m. match because Kudla's still alive in doubles. Of course, his partner, Ty Kwiatkowski, still alive in singles as well, the former NCAA singles champ. It's a battle of NCAA singles champs. 2017 versus 2023 as Kwiatkowski takes on 2023 champ Ethan Quinn. By the way, like this is me in heaven. 
Ty and I are the same age. We're the same grade. That's my another one of those guys. Like I would not be doing what I do today if I didn't become a fan of Kwiatkowski during his career to get to catch up with him. Will Blumberg still alive? I, if you would have asked me three years ago who was the be, who was the surest thing to come from the collegiate ranks and be a top 100 player, I would have said Will Blumberg, and I would have put a significant sum of money on it as well. Like that's how well he was playing to end that 2020 uh, to start that 2020 season. By the way, he's obviously been a top 100 doubles player, so to some extent, my point stands now. If you would have asked me then, as all this is to say, I got to catch up with Will's dad today. Love Mr. Blumberg. Might be Dr. Blumberg, but love. David Blumberg, as he would insist I call him. And it was just like, we were, we had the conversation of, if you would have asked either of us in 2020, hey, it's going to be Rinky Hijikata, who was playing three doubles barely for UNC, and not Will Blumberg, who was the best doubles player in the country at the time, that wins a major in doubles first. How shocked I would have been. Anyways, look. It's going to be a surfest, and credit to Ethan Quinn, man. Stefan Kozlov just takes away what you want to do best, and Kozlov found ways to take away the plus one forehand from Ethan Quinn throughout the course of this match, and yet Quinn was just able to find ways to generate easy forehands for himself, even if it wasn't always in a plus one variety. He found ways to be the aggressor, continue to put pressure on Kozlov, not be baited into playing slices or baited into playing Kozlov's pace. No, when whenever Quinn got something on a service line, that's when he looked to take that ball big, get in behind it. Just again, you cannot allow Kozlov to linger because his ability to hit passing shot, his skill, he's so skilled. Quinn outpowered him. He outfinessed him. It was a mature win uh, for a guy who, what, at all oh, this has to be 20. Yeah, still 19, still a teenager, up to a new career high, 323 in the world with his victory. It's a Kwiatkowski 59.1% favorite, Duckworth the 37.6% favorite overall, by the way, right now to win the event. I love these quarterfinals. Uh, again, if you want pace, power, quick points, Duckworth versus Van de Castile. You want the veterans grinding, Sandgren versus Kudla. You want the contrast of styles. I don't know exactly what that Quinn-Kwiatkowski matchup is going to look like. Quinn's forehand is going to give Ty's forehand some problems because of the pace heaviness of it. But Ty is quite the athlete. His first serve and his feel and his just ability to make you uncomfortable. That's what Kwiatkowski has always done. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at Quinn, the slices, the weird angles, serve and volley. And then again, two young guys, dare I say, both clear stock ups in Nava Kipson facing one another early opportunity to make a challenger semifinal as both try to make top 100 pushes this year. It's every storyline we could want in Cleveland. It's why I'm very excited to be courtside for all of these matches tomorrow. They start 11 a.m. Eastern time. You can watch them on the ATP Challenger live stream feed. You'll probably see my smiling face as well as get to watch me interview them after the match as well if the feed stays on long enough. So that's where things stand at the Cleveland Challenger. By the way, going to be a fun set of double semifinals as well. I know we got retirements on the bottom half of the draw, but top half is Blumberg Lawson versus Kwiatkowski Kudla. Each one of those men have appeared on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Each one of them, dear, I, not dear friends, but each one of them, I feel like I could text and expect a response from. And each one of them, very good tennis players as well. So I'm excited for that one, just to explain why. I feel like I'm humble bragging too much. Oh, he's a dear friend. That's probably a little, hyper, a little hyperbolic with Kudla. 
Blumberg is a dear friend. Blumberg's my guy. Uh, but Kwiatkowski, Quinn. Anyways, Maloney, also guy. I'm done with the humble brags of, oh, these are my guys, and it's nice to chat with them. It's just really nice to be here on the grounds. And, you know, again, what is the best part of chatting with those players is the information I'm then able to glean and able to use to help be a better podcaster for all of you listeners. And by the way, some of you listeners are wondering, well, what is that information, Alex? Just wait for tomorrow's Cracked Interviews podcast. We'll get into all of those with those players as they share insights that perhaps you may not otherwise have access to uh, as a tennis fan. That said, that's your action in Cleveland. Let's spend some time now talking about the other events we have on the cha- uh, on the calendar this week. Let's start uh, with the 500-level women's event in Linz. Ostapenko, she's one of the eight best players in the world. Do I have to continue to prove this fact for you? She's 10-2 and two to start the season. Both her losses, by the way, to Victoria Azarenka. There's just something funny about that, that 10-2. and two, And it's like two losses, but to one person. That's the only person who's beaten her so far this year. I mean, she needed two hours, 20 minutes. Fought off, or faced 11 break points and was broken eight times. And yet... 3-6, 6-4, 7-6, 9-7 in the third set breaker. She grinds her way by big hitting 21-year-old Clara Tossin. I mean, again, like 10-2 and two to start her season. Ostapenko now 47-24 and 24 overall since the start of last year. That's as good of a stretch as she has had. You know, again, you can even compare it to the 45 and 21 record she put together in 2017. And, you know, again, it's another quarterfinal for Ostapenko. You look for her overall. The last time she didn't make a quarterfinal, she, she lost first round in Seoul, 7 6 in the third in October. But other than that, what? So she's made the quarterfinals in, oh, and I guess not the Australian Open. So she's made it in four of her last six events. Obviously, quarterfinal at the U.S. Open as well. Let's just look since the start of Birmingham overall when she won that title in Birmingham to start the grass court season. You look for Ostapenko uh, during that stretch of time. So from June 19th uh, until now, it's just been a remarkable run. Uh, Yelena Ostapenko during this stretch, 28-12. and 12. She's 70% of her matches. She's made the quarterfinals or further at six different events. Now seven with this quarterfinal here in Linz. Seven quarterfinals in six months is ridiculous. That's top eight in the world stuff. That's why you look for Ostapenko right now. It's funny. She's currently sitting at 12 in the live rankings. Tied exactly with Barbara Krachikova. Now, if she wins the title this week, she'll still be behind Karolina Muhova. But she is, like, I just, I know what my eyes say. The power tennis she's capable of playing. She is one of the eight best players in the world right now. And by the way, she's going to make the semifinals, I think, of this event, despite the tough round of 16 battle. She's going to take on uh, Jody Barrage. The qualifier wins over Gracheva, as well as Jacqueline Christian. Look, all due respect to Barrage, I just don't think she's going to be able to handle the firepower of Yelena Ostapenko on the return of serve. And you could just see on Ostapenko's face after that toss and win how much getting through that one meant to her. There was a fire and just a... I don't know. She just is locked in. I just, I cannot remember Yelena Ostapenko being locked in for five weeks consecutively to start a season in the way that she is this year. And so, again, credit to Ostapenko. She's a winner through to the quarterfinals date with Jody Barrage. By the way, Ostapenko, 42% favorite to win the event. Speaks to the level that she's played. It speaks to that uh, Tennis Abstract thinks so fondly of her in its singles forecast because. There's a really good field of players remaining. Elisa Mertens, I again, 
Yes, Mertens loses second round of the Australian Open. She lost to quarterfinalist Marta Kostjuk, 7-6 in the third. Outside of that, she has won two of her last five events. Now, those events were 250s in Monastir and Hobart, respectively. Excuse me, she made the final in Hobart, but she's made the final at least in two of her last five events. She's now made the quarterfinals or further in three of the last five. She, like, during this stretch of time, so she's what, 9, 10, 11, 12. She's 12 and 3. Live math for all of you. 12 and 3 during that stretch. Her three losses, 1 and 0 to Rabakana, 7 5 in the third to Navarro, 7 6 in the third to Kostyuk. Lisa Mertens is playing good ball, is what I'm trying to say to start this season. She's one of the 25 best players in the world, just so solid off both wings, moving so well. It's a fun contrast of styles for her coming up next as she takes on an Anastasia Pavlachenkova, who has also played some really good ball of late. Obviously, we saw her that semifinal run from her in Tokyo to end last season, quarterfinal in Hong Kong. She kicks things off qualifying and making the quarters in Adelaide this year. Tough loss to Bedosa, round two Aussie Open, but remember she beat Vekic round one and now wins over Trevisan Bolter to get to this quarterfinal in Linz. Uh, it's big moves for Pavs, who's back up to number 38 in the live rankings. She was outside the top 75, I believe, to start the season. So, yeah, that happened real quick. Um, Pavs into the quarters versus Mertens. She's 2-1 and one in that head-to-head again. Fun contrast of styles. Bottom half of the draw, equally fascinating. Seed versus seed as Ekaterina Alexandrova is going to take on Anastasia Potapova. Potapova had to have this week after what was a horrible month of January for Potapova. And again, to see uh, Potapova go... Win, uh, to see her lose first round in the fashion that she did maybe more than anything uh, in that Australian Open round one match to Kaya Yuvan... It was just, it was really disappointing for her after she made a quarterfinal in Brisbane, beat Akuta Matova to get there, and then just again kind of lost that momentum. Obviously, for Potapova, she has a million points to defend in the month of March between her Sunshine Swing runs in Indian Wells and Miami relative to the rest of her schedule. Like, it's important for her to get this quarterfinal on her resume to build up some cushion for her in case there is a tough draw or whatever it may be, uh, some regression during that sunshine swing. For what it's worth, she's 1-0 in the career head-to-head against Alexandrova. Alexandrova 3-0 over Julia Niemeyer. Again, Potapova 7-5 in the third over Cochiaretto. Potapova's more dynamic. If ECAT's winning a match 3-0, it might be an ECAT week. So give me ECAT to advance there. And then you love to see Clara Burel after she gets the signature victory of her career, beating Jessica Pagula to make the third round in Australia. What does she do the very next week? She comes here to Linz. She makes a quarterfinal. She's up nine spots. New career high up to number 43 is the 22-year-old. She has Pliskova's technique without Pliskova's power, but without the burden of Pliskova's movement either. Like she's much more fluid than Pliskova. It's just how she hits the ball. It just reminds me of it. The straight arm on the backhand, her ability to extend and beat you to the spots down the line. She's fluid though. She she's really solid. Like Clara Burel is good at everything. I don't know if she's great at anything yet. She'll face down the firepower of Donna Vekic. Vekic one and one ends the run of Diana Yastremska. Now you have to ask for Yastremska, who had a three-set win over Erica Andreeva in round one, who was fresh off of Australia. How much gas was really left in the tank for Diana Yastremska? You're certainly not knocking her after that loss. But again, it was 
a must-have for Donna Vekic to reach that quarterfinal. In fact, it is her first quarterfinal since Berlin, June of last year. She had sincerely, she had lost, what, 7, 10, 11. She had a stretch where she lost 11 of 15 matches, 11 of 16, excuse me, from the end of Wimbledon to the start of United Cup this year. Had to have that quarterfinal, just get things going in the right direction for Vekic, who as of right now, currently sitting uh, at 30 in the world. Uh, again, going to get a shot at Clara Burrell, where she'll certainly have the bigger weapon, so she certainly, you feel, would have an opportunity for success uh, there this week. You look at the tennis abstract singles forecast right now. Again, Ostapenko 42% favorite. After that, Ekat 12-7, Mertens 11-5, and then Pavlichenkova to Potapova, all within 1% of themselves uh, of each other. Pavs, Potapova, Vekic, Burel. So pretty much tennis abstract saying, we think it's Ostapenko. After that, Pick a name out of a hat, anyone but Barrage, and your guess is uh, your guess is as good as ours. That's where things stand as we head into our quarterfinals in Linz in Huajin for an undercar event. I kind of like what we have on the board this week. You look for Diana Schneider, uh, Lady Di, back into the top 100 uh, with her quarterfinal run. She gets a win over Paula Bedosa. Bedosa forced to withdraw, up 4-3 in the second set, unfortunately, but... Look, the lefty Daishnai, she just has real weapons. The ball comes flying off of her racket on the baseline. And when she's landing the first serve, she's just a tough out. She's strong. She competes well. There's just an edge to Daishnai. There always has been. Again, it's another quarterfinal for her at the tour level. You look for her just since leaving college uh, for Diana Schneider, who, let's be clear, still just 19 years old. She's now made four different tour-level quarterfinals uh, since leaving school back in May, and that's how, folks, you sustain a top 100 ranking in your first 12 months on the job. Again, she'll take on qualifier Dalma Golfi. Golfi 7-5 in the third over fifth-seeded Wang Shiyu. It's been a good tournament for Golfi. Wins over Tomjanovic, Wang Shiyu. Uh, next up, of course, fun contrast of style, the power of righty Wang Shinyu, the 22-year-old from China. Her first quarterfinal of the year, she'll take on Yulia Putenseva, Wang Shinyu 2-0 in that career head-to-head. Bottom half of the draw, going to get funky. Well, Katie Volinets, massive for her to take advantage of this opportunity. And as such, Volinets back up to 113 in the world. She'll take on Wang Yafan of China. Wang Yafan's just played good ball uh, as of late. Yafan currently sitting at 71 in the live rankings. Uh, obviously, she made third round, I believe, of Australia. Again, for Volinets, good start to her season. Semifinals at a 125K in Canberra. Qualifies for the main draw in Australia before a loss to quarterfinalist Kalinskaya. Now quarterfinals here in Huahin as well. You look for uh, Katie Volinets in her career for what it's worth. It is just her second career tour-level quarterfinal, both of them, coming in the last 52 weeks. She'll take on Wang Yafan at the bottom. Ju Lin, who I believe is the defending champion here in Hua Hin. Uh, she is taking on Bao Zhao Xin. Uh, so, yeah, I was correct. She is the defending champion here. So, big week for Ju Lin. Yeah, she's down, even though she's in the quarterfinals, still down 20 spots in the live rankings. The 30-year-old currently sitting at number 65. So, the draw has opened up for her, certainly, to perhaps make a run to try and defend this title. You look right now, she is the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, 23.1%. Here's the thing, though. Potensivus 20. 
Wang Xinyu, 18-6. Wang Yafan, 12-2. Even Dal Magalfi, who's the lowest, they give her a 3% chance. Not a 0 or a 0.1, no. Still, a 3% is significant. If you look at these tennis abstract singles forecasts as frequently as I do, it means they're not writing you off entirely. The tennis abstract singles forecast, when it wants to write someone off, it'll happily write them off. They won't even do that with Golfy. It's a really fun undercard event on the women's side in Hua Hin. Keep an eye on it and certainly will continue to discuss it here on this show. Last but not least at the tour level, you look at the Montpellier semifinal, uh, quarterfinals. Sign me up. I love them. Holger Runa versus Michael Moe. Physical. And look, when Michael Moe is healthy... He's one of the 100 best players in the world. Up 18 spots to number 115 is the 26-year-old, who, of course, has a career high of 81. The problem for Mo is he's just never healthy for more than a three- to five-week span. And if you want to consolidate your position at any point of the rankings, you just— you kind of have to play six, seven, eight months consecutively, right? And, you know, you look for him last year— Mo makes third round U.S. Open, round of 16 Washington, round of 16 Winston-Salem, a bunch of different challenger semifinals as well. The problem is last year from January 1st to Ju- uh, to July 3rd, Mo played a grand total of nine matches. Played nine matches. He has not only nine matches of points to defend. A Delray Beach quarterfinal is really all he has left to defend until Wimbledon. The Michael Moe pathway to the top 100 is there. It's just straight up there, whether it's challengers, whether it's ATP events. And again, for him to get to a 250 here in Montpellier continues that top 100 push. Michael Moe right now, quarterfinals, he'll take on top seed Holger Runa, who earned his 100th career tour-level victory in reaching the quarterfinals. Good run for Borna Chorich last week, finalist of a challenger. This week, quarterfinals in Montpellier. He'll take on the talented 21-year-old Flavio Caboli, who... Again, check the film. I talked about it after the next-gen finals with Damian Kust. I said Caboli was the young Italian. I came out most impressed by just the springiness, the athleticism, the totality of things the 21-year-old can do, and he has not disappointed on his way to this quarterfinal. In fact, you look for the 21-year-old Italian career tour-level quarterfinals. I'm glad you asked. For him overall now in his career, this is just his second tour-level quarterfinal, and both of them have come in the last 52 weeks. one ones the career head-to-head there. For what it's worth, Tennis Abstract has Chorch 70.8% favorite. That's the top half of the draw. Bottom half's really fun as well. Bublik survives three sets over Denis Shapovalov, had to grind his way back, faced match points in that one, takes the second set breaker, 14-12, Shevchenko, after a very disappointing Australian Open, he's through to another quarterfinal, three sets over Gregoire Bure. Shevchenko's the more consistent, but hey, man, it's another quarterfinal for Bublik to start the season. Two in the first five weeks? Are we going to get a consistent Sasha Bublik in 2024? I don't even know if the world's ready for that. And then, shout out to FAA. Needed to empty the gas tank literally and metaphorically, like literally puked because that's how hard he was going in this Arthur Cazot match. The 21-year-old Frenchman, though, suffers just his second loss of the year. His two losses are to Hercots and Felix. There's making a jump, and then there's making a jump. And 21-year-old Arthur Cazot is at a new career high, 80 in the world. He's done the latter. But look, Felix continues the strong indoor hardcourt level we saw from him at the end of last season into another quarterfinal. Very winnable match against Harold Mayotte as well. And by the way, French tennis is just having a moment. Fees, Van Asche, 
Kazo, 21-year-old Harold Mayotte sitting at a new career high, number 132 in the rankings as well. After this quarterfinal, he gets a win over Benoit Pair as well as a win over Luca Pui. Pretty ideal draw to make a quarterfinal, but quarterfinal nevertheless. Right now, it goes Holgaruna, 33% favorite. Felix, 30.3. Chorich, 16.6. Big Delta then to everyone else. Folks, that's all your tour-level action. Again, quick update on the challenger side. Uh, I told you everything happening in Cleveland. You look over in Kablenz. Right now, another big run for Brandon Nakashima, who, by the way, back inside the top 100. He's sitting at number 95 right now. He'll take on the talented ball striker, German Max Hans Rayberg. Uh, Nakashima, 65.5% favorite after that. Yuri Rodiana, 14.6. Shout out to American Martin Dom. Up to a new career high, 218. I believe it's his like seventh quarterfinal in his last 10 events. Another cha- He's made quarterfinals or further at the challenger level in one, two, three, four of his last seven events. That's how you reach a new career high. If you are the 20-year-old, again, big lefty, something every coach loves to hear. In Bernie, top seed Rinky Hijikata does fall. Three sets to the former junior U.S. Open champ, Omar Jessica. It's going to be Jessica versus Sweeney now in the quarterfinals. Your favorite there, uh, currently uh, Yasutaka Uchiyama, 21%. But trust me, Tennis Abstract says it's anyone's game. And then in Picarasikaba, right now, top seed Federico Coria, second seeded Camilo Ugo Carabelli. They remain the prohibitive favorites. Coria, 29.8%. Carabelli, 35.1%. If Coria beats Gianluca Madger, he'll probably become the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, to capture that challenger. That said, that is your look at a fun, busy quarterfinal Friday in the pro tennis world. Now, I apologize for the lack of an opening today. I know I said at the start of the week, I'm going to try to do those more. It'll be when I have the right time to have the right statistics, to have the right conversations. I'm still thinking about my top eights. I'm still thinking about Sabalenka versus Fiontech and Maybe on tomorrow's show, I'll have our dear intern who's with me here, Owen Alderman, record on video me naming my top eights as well so we can make that a breakout segment for all of you to enjoy. Anyways, here's the theme. We still got a lot of really good things planned ahead for this year on the Mini Break podcast feed, and thus we appreciate your patience when we do have circumstances like yesterday where I was just on the road couldn't record a podcast because I just I would have been disingenuous. I didn't have time to watch the tennis yesterday. I had time to catch up on it all today. Thus, again, show for you, all of you listeners here and more shows for you all to come throughout the rest of the weekend. Of course, a shout out and thank you as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Racket and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.